As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss the downtown dip and potted meat sandwiches. Big Jed. Yeah, we do. That's right. Stay tuned. <laughs> if that's not an intro, I don't know what is. <laughs> Big Jed, this is, I'm in a good mood. This is a positive vibes only podcast. Yes. We've got some good news floating around Sportsman Drag Racing, and I am fired up to talk to you about it. Yeah, very exciting news. It is, this is all positive vibes. This is the PV version of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. We're excited to bring some good news to you. Uh, we're going to give some breakdown into the IHRA drama or saga or whatever it is uh, right now. That's There's pretty neutral more, vibes. Neutral vibes. Yeah, a little yeah. more insight to that. So that's a good thing. That's positive. Uh, we're going to talk about some on-track performances and some stuff on the horizon but Luke, I guess first and foremost, I got to start with uh, a positive vibe and, and thank you in the intro. We did it in the show, but or congrat congratulate you in the intro on uh, the uh, Bogacki final round with you and Gary. That was really cool. Uh, folks are going to hear more about that on the show here towards the end as well. So um, just all positive, all good, all the time. And uh, that's you'll hear that theme continue throughout the show. Positive vibes in terms of race results, positive vibes in terms of some racetracks uh, reopening, staying open, retaining their status as racetracks. That's always super positive. Some of the biggest events on the calendar, not just maintaining the status quo in 2022, but actually thriving, having bigger entry lists than ever before. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about why 
but it's all rooted in positivity. It is a great time to be a sportsman drag racer, Big Jed. It is really good time. And uh, the, these, these discussions that we're about to have will even put more, uh, more shine more light on that for sure. And uh, I look forward to hearing more about or, or their listeners hearing more about that in the show. But Luke, um, you know, we're, I guess this is a good time also to let people know in the intro in case they don't listen long enough that we won't be here next week. We will be off next week. We'll come back in two weeks after a lot of this big racing happens and we get back in the saddle. So uh, again, you'll hear that in the show, but just in case you get tired of listening before you get to that point, want everybody to know that here in the intro. Let's float on some positive and positive vibes, right? But first. P.J. North. Here is that moment to go bring hit the tree and drive All right, Jed, the theme of this week is positive vibes only. We've got some good news in a world where it feels like racetracks are, are closing shop, selling out left and right. We've got some, some positive news on that front this week. Oh, man, that is good news, Luke. Uh, we you know, definitely hear plenty of gloom and doom, and um, it seems to be huge news when tracks are doing poorly but we don't hear enough good stuff about our racetrack so uh what you got that's so good to hear all right so we'll start uh a a little bit in my neck of the woods a little bit further north from us but byron dragway has been sold and the big news of that is byron dragway will remain byron dragway It it will remain a functioning working drag strip and that i don't think it's necessarily been in doubt over the course of the last year but Two, three years ago, that was very, very much in doubt. Um, So Byron's coming back uh, as a drag strip, new ownership. It sounds like just continuing to move in a very positive direction. I know that's a big win for everyone up in that area specifically. And I think just given the history of the facility, it's a big win for the sport. No doubt. Uh, You're obviously talking about a legendary facility, Luke. I, I don't know how old or how long Byron Dragway has been uh, operating as a drag strip, but I know it is a long, long time. And that facility means a lot to a lot of people. So certainly um, that's wonderful news to hear that, uh, you know, not maybe to hear that it's sold, but when, you know, you, you get concerned about that these days when you hear a drag strip sold, but when you hear that it's going to remain a racetrack, that is wonderful news. And, uh, you know, that, that facility, again, has been operating for a long time. So whomever has uh, taken ownership of it, hopefully they not only keep it as a racetrack, they make some improvements here and there and just make that place another longstanding drag strip for the, the people that attend events there on a regular and certainly some of the special events that they have, which draws crowds from all over. So that is uh, wonderful news to hear. That's a good positive vibe to get us started. Yeah, 100%. And, and my, my understanding of, of this arrangement, like I said, it, this was in doubt as of a couple of years ago. We've talked a lot about how for many, perhaps most racing facilities, like we have reached a point in time where they are in, in many cases worth more as something other than a racetrack than as a racetrack. And, and hence the, the turnover, the, the loss of a lot of tracks that, that we've been very familiar with over the recent years. And 
as I mentioned, Byron Dragway was was no different. I, I may be speaking a little bit out of turn here, but my understanding is that the the land surrounding Byron Dragway is owned by, I believe it's like a, a nature preserve. And, and that group, I, I, I assume that's government owned. I'm not hundred percent sure. That group had, had made an offer on the racetrack that to my understanding far exceeds what it eventually sold for or what it could bring as a racetrack. Um, and there was a time, and I think we can all relate to this, that that's, that's difficult to pass up, right? But BJ uh, Vangnes, the longtime owner, and I don't, I don't know exactly BJ's history. I, it seems like he, he grew up at the racetrack, was kind of mentored by Ron Leak, and maybe his partner ended up partnering with Ron, ended up BJ and his family on the track outright. Bottom line was he had a very vested interest in, a, a very personal interest in it remaining a racetrack and, and was very committed to that fact or to that idea. And the stars aligned, everything came together and a, a, a local racer, the way I understand it, uh, the Robertson family, I believe uh, the bracket race at Byron have for years is, is going to take over ownership, obviously with the same goal in mind to, to continue operations as a drag strip, very much committed to that as BJ and his family was and, and are. Uh, it sounds like uh, reading the press release, everything's going to essentially remain the same in the short term. And the Robertsons have some some big plans to make improvements, uh, probably overdue improvements in some areas, but improvements to a, a historic facility that, like I say, at, at least right now, forecasting in the future, like it just it looks like a win for everyone involved. And I think biggest of all, a win for the the racers that patronize Byron Dragway. And in this day and age, that that's that's a really positive vibe. It's a good thing to hear. Yes, Luke. Very good news. Um... I, uh, I am all for protecting our environment and, and all the wonderful things, you know, the streams and the, the special trees and the special kind of grass and things that we have. And I shouldn't say this on an open airway, but when the tree huggers want to buy your drag strip, Luke, it ain't a good thing. Um, they probably don't have smoke and oil and fuel in mind when uh when they're wanting to buy your drag strip so you 15 I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate uh the owner of byron or the former owner of byron passing up on that offer and leaving it as a place where us gearheads can go uh, get our get our burnout on so um good luck to the robertson family and uh, congrats to to all the racers that call byron dragway home you uh you're ones the wolves pulled out while we're on the theme of positive vibes, Big Jed, did you see, and, and I think by the time that you, the listener, are, are uh, engaging in this podcast, you'll probably have a little bit more clarity than we do now, because Houston Raceway Park was set to make a, an official announcement, uh, an official release, if you will, this week. And as of the time of this recording, we, we don't have the details of that. I assume you may have that at your fingertips uh, by the time that you listen. But did you happen to see, Big Jed, the video release that Houston Raceway Park put out uh, late last week? Because it was epic. I did not see that. I saw in the show notes uh, that, that you had that info, and I, I could not get that to work. So um, I'm, I'm very interested to see that because uh, you hyping it up, brother. I mean, you, you're, you're saying that it's amazing, and 
you, know, you, you don't get excited about a whole lot. So <laughs> I want to see this. The, the, the social media team at Houston Raceway, they deserve a raise. This was really good. It's a minute of your time. If you haven't seen it as a listener, just go over to the Houston Raceway Park Facebook page and check it out. Like I say, it's probably old news at this point because now you probably have details. But I, I being removed from the situation, right? I was under the impression the last thing that I heard about Houston Raceway Park was they hosted their last national event this spring. Um, there was a big to-do of the, the last bracket race at Houston. I think Stephen Hughes won. I think we talked about that here on the, on the podcast because I believe that his father won the first race in the same car, right? That was a, that was a, yes. a really cool story. That was. Um, and so that was, I just assumed that no one that I knew would ever ride down Houston again, right? Like that's done. And just the release, it's a, uh, it's footage from a, a, a Leonardo DiCaprio movie. I don't even know the movie, but it's like he's addressing a bunch of shareholders. You know, they're, they're spanning back and forth from the from racing action at, at HRP to Leonardo DiCaprio holding this microphone. And he's like, everybody, everyone is like waiting with bated breath. You know, like, what's he going to say? Like, you can just tell that there's doom in the room. And he said, and, and Leonardo DiCaprio is like, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. And then I'm not leaving. Like it's, it's just, you just get fired up watching it. Right. Like it, they basically said it, it's as good as the Michael Jordan press release. Like I'm back. I don't know what that entails at this point. I don't know that they host another national event. I don't know what the schedule looks like for 2023. I, and I assume like my understanding of that, that uh, sale or arrangement is the, Houston Raceway Park is, is surrounded by refineries. And I believe that that's what ultimately bought up the, the land. And my assumption is that they just don't need it yet. Like the, the closure is imminent, but they're getting at least one more year. Again, I don't know that I'm speculating, but nonetheless, like one more year is better than none. And the way that they presented that, it got me fired up and I'm 15 hours away. So pretty cool stuff. Yeah, very cool. Um, you know, obviously, first and foremost on the cool meter is that Houston is going to at least have another season. And regardless of who the, the owners are, you know, the the decision to uh, obviously continue with a racing program, no matter the reason, if it's if it's just because they don't need it yet, that's okay. Um, you know, another year of racing there for the Houston area racers. And again, a facility that means a lot to a lot of people and um, would love to see a national event continue there. There was quite a bit of hoopla over the closing and the final one and all that stuff. So I'm not sure that you can always just walk that back. Um, but if they decide to, that's a great thing. If not, you know, just be happy with another year of uh, its normal weekly program and and we'll move on when we move on. But uh, that is wonderful news for the racers in that area. I do I think the pessimistic side of me, Luke, says there there has to be quite a, a, a number of racers that sold their racing operation, knowing that Houston was their place and that's the, the place they raced. And maybe it's difficult to get to other facilities. So you know, I, I would think there's people that did that and I hate it for them because I imagine they, they probably would have liked another year out of it, but probably, um, it, it's, uh, it's probably a catch 22 for them because they probably sold their racing equipment if they did at the best time possible in their life when it was worth the most amount of money. So That's either way, if, you, if you're getting out for good, it's a good time to get out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a good time to sell your stuff. If you got nice stuff, 
you can get everything, every penny it's worth. Uh, yeah, so uh, positive vibes only. Like it's it's refreshing to hear two stories like that, to see two stories like that in a time when it's so easy to to get caught up in the negatives. Like I was, this crossed my mind the other day, and, and not that the the OG million is a is a you know the the bar that we should hold everything to, or or a direct representation of the the state of drag racing, but. If I'm not mistaken, Big Jeb, the, the, the OG million has been contested at five different facilities in its life. Is that accurate? Trivia time. Uh, you got this. Yeah. Name the five, Big Jeb. Name. Yeah. So obviously Huntsville Dragway. That's right. Um, it's been contested. Well, it uh, the Count Indy. Um, no, it did not get contested at Indy. Well, it started there, but it ended at Muncie. So it's Muncie's Muncie. number two. Okay. Mem- Memphis is number three. Sure. Uh, Montgomery's number four and South Georgia's number five. So yeah, I guess that's true. Now you're leaving one out. There's six, Atlanta. Oh my goodness, it was. Yes, there was one, Atlanta. One year at the ATL. I'd actually forgotten about South Georgia, believe it or not. So okay, so obviously Atlanta and Memphis are are, are no more, right? And I don't want to complete I don't on the on the line of if reckless speculation is the starting line and capital J journalist is the finish line. I might only be at 60 foot here, but the, the rumors that I'm hearing like Muncie is on very shaky ground. I don't, uh, it's my understanding that the Daniels are not going to renew their lease. It, it, the, the future of that place is very much in the, up in the air. So if that were to go by the wayside, like that's half the facilities that the million has been contested in over its what, 29 years. 20, 27 years, something like that. 1996. So yeah, 27. Yeah, so we're, getting, we're getting close to 30. Give me a little credit. Yeah, it'll get to 30 eventually. Um, like that, that's, that seems like a big knock, you know? Um, so to hear a couple of facilities that aren't going anywhere, at least uh, in, in the case of Iron Dragway, not in the foreseeable future for, for HRP, not immediately, right? And, and not as immediately as we had assumed. Um, those, those feel like wins. We'll take wins right now. Yes, we will take wins. And, um, you know, that's a good point about those facilities closing up and, and the million having a connection to them and possible closings. But, you know, the, the million is the OG million is owned by the folk family. The folk family, obviously very close to Byron Dragway, near and dear to their hearts. So, you know, it could move to Byron Dragway at some point. Luke, who knows? I mean, well, the OG million. There. The OG million might be going north again one day. We shall that's, see. But that's why we've got you here, Big Jed. You take my random thoughts and you figure out a way to intertwine them. I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm here for. Uh, I've got a little bit of news. I, I put on my I put on my, my my capital J cap, Big Jed. I did a little digging. I've got a little bit of insight on IHRA. If I was to give that same scale, okay. Now, granted, I've got I've got my sources here. I will protect my sources on the scale of Reckless speculation being the starting line, capital J journalism being the finish line. This is closer to the mile an hour cone. Like, I feel pretty good about this. Okay. Okay. I like it. Where we're at with IHRA. Um, The last that we had, uh, we had touched base. We said, hey, there there were uh, roughly, I believe it's six principles in in management in IHRA that, that had disbanded from IHRA before the sale to Larry Jeffers, or perhaps as a result of the impending sale to Larry Jeffers, however you want to take that, right? And they were um, setting up a, a new sanctioning body, right? The, what did we call it? The IDRA? Well, thank the IDRA, yes. You had, you had uh, speculated on a, on a previous podcast that uh, 
there's a, an anti-compete clause there. Like this is not going the way that it was intended. That is, as my understanding is actually exactly how this has gone down. Roughly half of those half dozen principals had signed a non-compete agreement with the IHRA. Now, it's unclear to me whether they didn't realize they'd signed it, forgotten they'd signed it, or that they just moved forward with this IDRA idea under the assumption that they wouldn't get pushback from IHRA, that IHRA was just looking for a reason to wash their hands of this. I, I don't know the answer to that, right? I do, and they forgot. Okay, fair enough. Yep, they they forgot. Yes. Bottom line, at this point, action has come from it. IHRA has said, no, 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 you can't do that. You sign this non-compete, right? So as a result, the IDRA is no more. Not that it ever really was. Like it was probably the worst kept secret in, in racing, but it never had an official release, right? There, there's rumors that, um, you know, several uh, current IHRA racetracks had, had made some type of, whether it was verbal or written agreement to make the switch to IDRA presumably at the end of the 2022 season, but there was never anything official released there. So the IDRA, that idea that is kaput, that's no more. However, the principles from that group that did not have a non-compete clause with the IHRA in place are still moving forward. Okay. Now, the, I don't know about the principles that did sign the non-compete clause. Like, obviously they're not involved in this, wink, wink. Okay. Of course not. Of course not. The, the principles that did not sign the non-compete with IHRA are moving forward with a, another new sanctioning body, forming that for 2023 agreements for racetracks are being drafted, perhaps distributed, what have you. Like that group is moving forward with some version of their initial plan. So Depending on who you believe, and again, talk to a few people close to this situation, depending on who you believe, initially, there was a significant percentage of current IHRA facilities that had agreed in some form to follow those principles who had disbanded from IHRA into the IDBA or whatever this new sanctioning body is going to be called in 2023. Now, will those facilities now continue to follow that group or will they stay with IHRA? The sense that I'm getting is that initially it was overwhelming feedback like, hey, I'm going to follow this group, of, this management team that I've dealt with and, and, and forego the IHRA banner. Um, the sense that I'm getting now is that there's a little bit more competition. Like it's a closer race between the IHRA, the, the Larry Jeffers IHRA, and the new sanctioning body that will not be called the IDRA, right? I know that's confusing, but the IHRA and the other group, right? Partially that is due to the uncertainty around this new yet to be established sanctioning body. You know, I mean, obviously they came out really strong when that group left IHRA. And now as a result of some, some legal issues, they've had to pivot, but obviously they're, they're still moving forward in some sense, but there's been some uncertainty about that that probably clouds the air if you're, a, if you're a, a track owner. And the other side of it is that Larry Jeffers seems to be doing his part to win over these racetracks, right? He's been on the phone. He's been very vocal on social media. He seems to have a vision for, for what the IHRA could be moving forward. Um, 
Now, will that vision be realized? Like, I have no idea. Um, in order for it to have a chance, he's got to sell it right now. Like he's got, there's got to be tracks in the IHRA for the IHRA to survive first and foremost. So I guess I, I spent the last five minutes, Jed, to, to say that we don't really know anything more than we did a week ago or a month ago. Um, we know that everything that IHRA committed to for 2022 seems to be a go as far as ET finals, as far as Summit Super Series, like uh, everyone involved is going to make that happen basically the way that it was drawn up. Um, the Summit contract with IHRA is still valid. There's been, um, there, it's an interesting thought too, because there's leverage on, on both ends of that. Like I have heard that if, that Summit can't back out of the agreement with IHRA because it's legally binding, like IHRA could sue them. And at the same time, IHRA can't not go through with everything that they've promised in terms of the Summit Super Series and ET Finals because Summit would sue them, right? So there's kind of equal leverage there on, on both sides. And, and I guess the main thing is that as much as we know and can have confidence, if you're a, an IHRA racer today, that, that this season will come to a conclusion in the manner in which you assumed starting out, uh, I think it's also fair to say that beyond 2022, like no one really knows what the future holds, right? For 2023 and, and beyond. Yeah, Luke, there's obviously still a lot of moving parts to this. And, you know, this thing has a lot of legal mumbo jumbo to it. But, you know, what have we, what have we learned? We've learned that nothing. You should always, when you're asked to sign a non-compete, you should always read it thoroughly first and foremost. And I would have, I guess this is hindsight. I say I would have, I would hope that I would have said, I'll sign this, but I know you're an investment company that owns this. And I know that probably at some point you're going to be looking to sell. And since I don't control who gets to buy it and what their vision is for my future and my employment, um, I think that should give me an out. And mm, when the, when the company, yeah, when the company changes ownership, I think your non-compete should have a clause in there that allows you to, to go your own way. And, um, you know, at that point, IRG shouldn't really care who's, who's competing with them because they're done. But nonetheless, this thing's uh, probably going to still get uglier before it gets prettier. And Luke, I think that, you know, it's our duty and our listeners duty to, to come up with the the acronym or the 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 name, the abbreviation, or whatever this is, the title. I mean, like the GDRA, the the Global Drag Racing Association, or the something like that. You know, global. I like that. Yeah, I like because international. You know, that's that's good. But I mean, IHRA is in Australia. Man, that's this place is global. I mean, this business is global. So let's go global. Let's let's think big, Larry Jeffers, and I got and, it. Uh, Yes. The WWDRA. Okay. Worldwide drag We're racing. Worldwide, baby. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, the folks at St. Louis might want an event, although they're in an HRA facility. But as I um, said, that, it's a bit of a mouthful, but I, I like it. <laughs> but Larry Jeffers obviously got his IHRA and his name is established, and those folks are going to do what they do. So if you're going to combat that, 
you know, go global, go global drag racing association and, and make this thing big. But nonetheless, Luke, um, again, I, I think that, uh, it's putting the, the track owners and decision makers in a very difficult spot. Uh, I don't like that part about it. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about, uh, people that obviously, uh, are, they got a vision for how they want to do their business and the tracks, you know, want to be a part of that, I know, but at the same time, they just want to operate as a drag strip like they have been and be a part of a, an organization or, or a sanctioning body that is doing good things for the racers. And these guys fighting with one another behind the scenes, it, it can't be good for the racetracks. Now the racetracks have to make a decision and figure out. It was already hard enough for a lot of them between NHRA and IHRA. And now they've got this other sanctioning body where they've probably got some personal relationships with some of the wink, wink people that are not involved and it's causing them some discomfort and to lose sleep. So it's an ugly situation. It's a, it's probably a lot uglier than, than we're making it out to be. And, um, it, again, I think it gets uglier before it gets prettier, but ultimately, you know, I think the racers will hopefully get a great sanctioning body to be tied to out of it, no matter whether it's a one of one, one of two, or one of three sanctioning bodies out there. And, you know, hopefully the sponsorship is out there to support all sanctioning bodies and give the racers a little bit more reason to go to the racetrack. Because ultimately, that's what we want to come of this is these sanctioning bodies put a program together with their member tracks that entice people to want to be at the racetrack, get those things out of the pole barn, out of the garage, out of the basement, uncover them, dust them off and get them back out to the racetrack and have good reason and good uh, potential prizes and, and money to do that. So uh, I don't know if that's what will come of it or not, Luke, but you know, really that's the, that's the hope and the dream. And when everybody's through fighting, maybe that's what we'll get. I think your point is, is valid in that let it, let's assume for a moment that the worldwide drag racing association does come to fruition. Well, on some level, it's inevitable then that the, whatever, I think it's 80 something facilities that are currently under the, the IHRA sanction. Um, they get divided up in some form, right? I, I don't know what percentage goes to IHRA and what percentage goes to the, the worldwide drag racing association, but it, but it gets fragmented. Right. And that I think is the, the most interesting part of this to me, their surprising part of this to me. And, and I'm not going to claim to be the, the smartest businessman. And I don't, I don't completely understand the, the business model of a sanctioning body in general, but I'll just say this when, when I heard that, because it's been no secret for a few years that the IHRA was for sale. I, I struggled to find value to it. I thought personally, my, my assumption was IHRA is worth the contract with Summit and no more, right? Like there's, there's not anything there, right? But obviously there is, right? There, there, there's, some, there's revenue from um, sanctioning fees. There's resonue, revenue from membership. And I, due to the fact that there are two groups of people legitimately fighting over this, that's obviously worth more than I realized, or there's something that I'm missing. And maybe, maybe, it, maybe the fight really is over the potential value. Cause I think there's significant upside. Like you could make the IHRA or the, the worldwide drag racing association into something much more than IHRA has been over the last few years, at least in my mind, you could, 
Um, and, and maybe that's the source of this battle. I, that's the most intriguing part to me because you've got two relatively powerful groups and I, and I feel like two groups of smart people fighting over something that I, I wouldn't have thought coming in was worth fighting for. Yeah, I agree. There was a time when I I'd certainly thought the, the organization didn't have very much value and didn't mean much to the people that that do what I do that run in the circle I run in. Um, I, I do feel like with all of the member tracks, knowing that they do have that many member tracks and certainly they're falling by the wayside the way it sounds, but knowing that they have that kind of affiliation, there's power in that. And ultimately I, I think that you use that, those relationships to create something that grows your, your organization instead of just letting it continue to die based on the, you know, the national event scene that, that obviously we saw it just die, slowly die and, and come to an end. Um, the power with these, all of these facilities in all of these different markets seems to be a great opportunity for the IHRA to, to build something special. And I'm not sure they took full advantage of that, Luke. Um, obviously, you know, it, it hasn't just grown tremendously. Uh, I do think um, they had some really good people in place and some really good facilities, but I just don't think they did everything they could do with it. And I'm not sure that was the people, you know, IRG was an investment group. They controlled this and they might've said, you know, that the money stops here. And this is what you can and can't do. And, you know, you, you take your sponsorship that you get from Summit and that's what you've got to work with. And that's what you got to work with only. And we're going to keep the member track fees and sanction or the uh, licensing fees and all that other stuff. So you never really know what was causing it. But I think this is a great opportunity for Larry Jeffers to show that he's in this thing for another 20 or 30 years and really try to build on it. And I, I believe just based on the name of the organization and the sanctioning body, he has the power and the ability to outdo what somebody can do from the ground up in today's, um, you know, racing landscape and racing environment. I think Larry Jeffers has a great opportunity here. And I wouldn't get caught up if I were he and his team. I wouldn't get caught up in trying to outdo what I think another sanctioning body is going to do. I would really just build something as a racer that I think would entice people to want to be at the racetrack, make a good solid program, stick to it with a vision for the future. And I, I think he has a real opportunity to, to gain some traction here and, and grow the IHRA sanctioned body and and what it represents to, to the racers, again, that, that are on the sportsman level. So I do think um, what I'm hearing, Luke, he wants to do some pro stuff and get some pro racing back involved. And I think that's great. That's, uh, that's not a bad thing. But what you can't do is let that take away from what has kept this organization alive for the last solid decade, but maybe really two decades. A solid pitch, Big Jed. We should record that, send it to IHRA headquarters. Like you might, you might have a job offer waiting. Yeah, look, if they're interested in just chatting, I'm available. Uh, VP got, of operations. Yeah, I've got 11 minutes next week uh, that I've got I can dedicate to it, and I've got 14 minutes the week after that. So, guys, give me a shout. We'll chat. I, I feel like I've, it's a positive vibes only podcast. I'll po apologies to the listeners that that segment had pretty neutral vibes. We're going to get back to some, we're going to get back to some good stuff. Um, 
let's rehash. We've got a little bit of actual on track racing to talk about. Let's let's rehash the last weekend. NHRA made their way to Brainerd, Lucas Oil Nationals, Brainerd International Raceway. Nothing really of note, Big Jed, on the on the championship front in the sportsman categories necessarily, um, but some notable performances. How about my man Dylan Haug? It was what three weeks ago we talked about Dylan winning his first national event, he won Super Comp at Seattle. I saw Dylan at Topeka and I said, Hey man, just a little bit behind the scenes. Like Dylan's a member of Elite. Dylan's very close with Justin Lamb, my co instructor at This Is Bracket Racing Elite. Dylan was uh, uh, part of our recent Elite Fest up in Woodburn, Oregon, which is close to home for him. And I told Dylan then, before his win at Seattle, and then I reiterated after I'm like, Hey man, you've got the skill set to win a bunch of these. And usually, my experience is when you when you get through the first one, you know, it's it's like busting things wide open. You know, it's you get the snowball rolling downhill and there'll be more to come in short order. I said that. I didn't realize that short order was like a week away. <laughs> Dylan Howe gets national <laughs> event win number two, this time in top dragster, this time at Brainerd, this time over a man who's arguably been hotter than anyone over the course mm-hmm. of the last month. Our main man, Anthony Bertozzi, Dylan Haug wins top dragster at Brainerd over Anthony Bertozzi. Yeah, obviously uh, getting that second win, that's a big thing and doing it in such a short time frame. But when you beat arguably the guy that's on top of the world right now, uh, both on and off the racetrack and, and somebody that's just hot as fire and a legend in our sport, got to put a little extra special sauce on that second national event win. So good for Dylan. Great job there. And, uh, you know, that just certainly, again, validates uh, what we're, we're saying about Anthony Bertozzi just week after week. Luke, we just continue to talk about him and his great performances. And obviously he's, uh, he's in line to leave his mark this year on that category for sure. The kid got me, dog. I, sp- I should have spent a little less time in the zoo. <laughs> yeah, probably so. Uh, a couple of notes from Brainerd. Tony Leonard gets his first uh, national event win in Super Comp. And that just stood out to me, Big Jed, because that's a guy that I've watched um, do this for several years now at, at what, through my eyes, is a high level. Um, Tony Leonard was actually a Division Five Super Street champion a year ago. And dude just makes good runs. Like he's really good at this. Um, and, and I think similar to Dylan Haug, like this is the first national event win for Tony Leonard. It will not be the last. Uh, this is a sign of things to come. That's a name that you're going to hear quite a bit, I think, in 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 years to come. Uh, other sportsman categories, two Minnesota staples, two guys that you would expect to win at Brainerd, Trevor Larson, Mike Manns. They emerge victorious in super gas and super stock, respectively. Another Minnesota is it Minnesota night, Minnesota native, Minnesota, oh, Minnesotan, Minnesotan, Minnesotan. Yeah. I think Minnesota, Minnesotan, Brett Spear. He flirted with a double big Jed. Uh, it was he earned his fifth national event win his first in competition eliminator. He made it to the semis of stock eliminator where he fell to the eventual winner. I don't have the name in front of me. The, 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 the run that Brett Spear lost to his opponent was eight total. Right. So that's rough. In, in any oh, case, yeah. Much less stock eliminator. That's the only round he lost in the final of competition eliminator, which Brett ended up winning um, was just one of those epic finals. Bruno Massel reigning NHRA world champion. Uh, if you remember, was a runner up a week ago in Topeka to Doug Ingalls, I believe. So I don't know how many of you follow along with comp or completely understand how it works. Like it is complicated eliminator, right? For a reason. Um, But the final round, 
they're 38 and 41 on the tree, which, you know, from bracket racing standards is not like bending the tree over pretty solid lamps in competition eliminator, especially when you've got a fast car. And so Spears 38 on the tree, 62 under the index, Bruno 41 on the tree, 62 under the index race decided by just four thousandths of a second. And the way competition eliminator works, like you, you go more than 50 under your index, you get a penalty for the next round. So you try not to do that. You go more than 60 under your index, you get a penalty forever. Like it sticks with you. Like index gets adjusted. You can't go as fast at the next race. So bottom line, like if you're going to go 60 plus under, you better make damn sure you win. Right. And at times like David Rampey would have argued for years that that ain't always worth it. Right. For both of these guys to commit down track to saying like, it's close enough. I can win this race. I'm going to, and it, looking at the run and the mile per hours, I think they're both on the floor, which is really rare in competition eliminator, both on the floor, both go 60 plus under race decided by four thousandths of a second. Like that's one of the best runs you'll see in competition eliminator all season. And the fact that it's the final round of a national event for, you know, Brett Spears first Wally in the class, pretty impressive stuff. Very impressive, Luke. Uh, you know, these guys are leaving on the bottom. <clears throat> they're, in a sense, they're they're foot breaking or you know trans breaking, no box racing, um, 180 to 200 mile per hour cars on the bottom bulb. So 38 and 41, very respectable. Understanding that these cars 60 foot like crazy and yeah, like one flat, as Steve yeah. Foley would say, they're leaving in a spot that doesn't exist. Yeah. So you got to leave late. You know, it's just, it's probably a weird deal to get used to. And, and for Brett to perform like that when your opponent is 41 and 0.627 under the index, they win. And, and Bruno Massel didn't win. Uh, that was very impressive driving on Brett Spears part. So good for him. The almost doubles pretty, uh, pretty cool as well, especially uh, doing one in stock eliminator. Tony Leonard, good for Tony. It's uh, cool to see him get a first national event win. I, I think, uh, you know, back in the days where, where DragRaceResults.com was our social media outlet, I think Tony was uh, a guy that frequented there, and uh, we chatted a little bit. Tony always seemed to, to bring good thoughts to the conversation. So um, Tony been doing this a while, so happy to see him. And, Luke, I, I'm kicking myself because last week when we – talked about Brainerd being on the horizon and we would discuss it this week. I almost said we're sure to be talking about a Larson or a Cheney or um, uh, 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 man, I've, I've totally lost a line. Uh, one of the line family. I almost said that and I thought, nah, I won't make an idiot out of myself. And then Trevor Larson goes and wins, doggone you. So I should have said it. I would have looked like I knew what I was talking about, but happy to see uh, Larson and Mans get those wins as well. Look like the the uh, event there at Brainerd was uh, another solid show. Without question. And granted, Big Jed, you would look smart had you said what you were thinking. I also would have given you a hard time last week because that's really going out of limb with those two things. <laughs> yeah, that, would, that wouldn't have been taking much of a chance. That wouldn't have been much of a long shot. Uh, so that's the NHRA action, the lone NHRA event from the weekend. Uh, fairly quiet weekend on the big dollar bracket racing front as well. The only race, Big Jed, that really caught my attention was the uh, the Triple Twelves up at Muncie, Indiana, a uh, race that Wes May and his wife Kaylee put on. Um, and it has saw some familiar names uh, in the winner's circle. 
Big Jed, we talked a few weeks ago about Aaron Dysinger. My man is red hot in that little Malibu. This is uh, what about a month removed from his runner up in the SFG 500. Uh, Aaron Dysinger goes on to win not one, but two big gamblers wins. Uh, gamblers events at the event at Muncie, the first, a five grander, I think it was a 64 car shootout Thursday night. He follows that up with a $10,000 shootout win either Friday night or Saturday night. So Aaron Dysinger rolling. Yeah. AD uh, North getting it done there. That's, AD uh, that's, North. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to put one for AD South too. Do you know that story real quick? I uh, do AD know South. that story. Okay. I think <laughs> the podcast <laughs> listeners are familiar with that story, but I will okay. you up to tell it again. So, well, I mean, it was just, you know, I mean, I'll just sum it up for you real quick. Oh, you PJ North. Well, I'm AD South. So, you know, I mean, AD obviously had been in the liquid spirit and, was giving PJ North a hard time and, and told him he was AD South. So it was just a good stuff, but uh, yeah, AD North getting it done there, big deal. And, and he's again, red hot, as you said, uh, been a pretty, pretty solid uh, eight, six, eight weeks or so for him for sure. And would expect to see more out of him. Um, good event there uh, for the, for the trip 12 at Muncie, the, the maze looked like they put on a great show. I think they had a really good turnout uh, had some no box stuff going on as well. Um, Shane Doherty claimed two of the three no box wins, Luke, Friday and Sunday. Uh, he's that. continuing hot streak as well. I mean, like I know the listener has internet, right? So the listeners probably, if you're listening to this, you probably jump on dragchamp.com occasionally. So you should be familiar with the other guy at this point. The other guy, Shane Doherty, like what he's done in the last two weeks, Big Jed, this is, we talked about how mind-blowing Ryan Butler's accomplishments were earlier this season. What Shane Doherty's done the last two weeks is similar, like reminiscent of that. You, you want to run through this? This is insane. Yeah, give us a rundown. Okay, so to your point, Shane Doherty, red hot. He gets two of the three no-box wins at Muncie this weekend. Uh, the day that he didn't win, oh, by the way, like what happened to Shane Doherty? He runnered up to Greg Tillman. Okay. So he's in all three finals and man, that, GD, that was like a little small, um, um, dessert course to the previous weekend at Muncie. There was a three day race at Muncie. It didn't pay as much as these trip 12s. I think the Saturday, uh, I, I was actually unclear. I don't know if it was a Saturday, Sunday, two, three granders, or if it was two races in one day, Saturday, but some type of warm up race Friday. This is going back a week ago, the week prior to Shane Doherty making all three no-box finals at uh, the, the May Carburetors event this weekend. The week prior, Friday night, uh, Shane Doherty rolls to the final of no-box, wins the no-box class, okay? Saturday, first three-grander, he wins the no-box class. It falls into box, goes on to win the box class. Sunday or, or late Saturday night, whatever, the third race of the weekend, he runs himself in the final of no box, falls into the box class, goes on to win the main event, like ran the table on the weekend, hardly lost a round. So over the course of the last two weeks now at Muncie Dragway, Shane Doherty, um, how about nine final rounds, seven wins? Like, I don't know about you, Jed. I call that a hell of a season. Shane Doherty calls it two weeks at Muncie. That's nuts. <laughs> that is nuts. And, uh, you know, that's extremely stiff competition up there. That, that Muncie crowd is rough. The no box side is rough. And for Shane to accomplish that 
in a two-week span. Again, as you said, that is a really good season, but to do that in two weeks is incredible. Shane, red, hot, got to be feeling great. Uh, Shane, if you swap feet, I don't know if you'd like to just let go of the button, but if you swap feet, they're paying at least a hundred grand in Bristol uh, next week. You might want to ease your way down there and see if you can keep this, uh, keep this streak going, but really, really strong performance by him and happy for my man, Greg Dillman. Greg is a tough, tough, no box racer up there in that part of the country. And to, to stop the sweep from Shane Doherty had to be a difficult task and, uh, and happy to see Greg get a win on the big stage there for sure. It's worth noting with Shane Doherty too, like it's, uh, it's not just a Muncie thing. It was, um, I believe it might've been July 4th weekend, the two tens up at uh, Morocco, Indiana, us 41. He won one of those, right? So it's a tremendous season. It's not just a two week flash in the pan. Like Shane Doherty has been rolling. Um, other results from Muncie, the, the, the three $12,000 to win main events, Bill Thompson got the win in, uh, on, in, on day one, Bill came through the no box side and then, uh, proceeded to to work his way through the field defeated justin Mosier in the final um saturday was uh, another local racer jack liggett got the win in his uh, station wagon sunday's 12 grand uh finale ryan pinkelman was the win over mace mccreary so pretty uh pretty familiar names there it definitely had a, a local flavor but to your point my impression was that this event was very well supported very well attended and uh and presumably very well run yeah, it looks like that on all fronts, Luke. Um, you know, some some great performances there, as you talked about on the no-box side, and for being able to come through the no-box side and get the win over a tough Justin Moser, uh, somewhat of a teammate of yours from uh, Moser Engineering. And um, lucky Jack Liggett. Lucky Liggett with the wheel stands and the wagon getting it did on Saturday. And Ryan Pinkelman getting a win over Mace McCreary. Ryan Pinkelman. Pinkelman would be a top 10 name in most events. So congrats to Ryan Pinkelman. And I just really like saying Pinkelman. So good for you, Ryan, and uh, and happy for Wes and Kaylee. That's a, that's a big deal for them up there. It's important to them to, to put on a great event in their backyard and uh, happy to see it go off very well for Wes May and May Race Carbs. Pinkelman is to you what Richeza is to me. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Uh, on deck, we've got a, a busy two weeks. Like it is the time of the calendar where, uh, where things really get cracking. And I guess this is as good a place as any, Big Jed, to let the listener know we will not be releasing a, uh, a, at least an up-to-date, uh, a new Sportsman Drag Racing podcast next week. Reasoning for that, you've got something going on in Bristol. Um, we can get to that. I'll be at yeah. Indy. It's just going to be really difficult for our schedules to align. So we will reconvene in two weeks. Look forward to that. So as we look ahead to what's going on, we'll look ahead over the, the course of the next two weeks. This weekend, um, I think the, the biggest event on the, on the bracket tour is the uh, Ace Fall Slam at Dragway 42. As we turn the calendar to Labor Day weekend, uh, there's a little race in Bristol, Big Jed, that looks like it's going to be well attended, that uh, looks like it's going to be the, uh, the richest event on the footbrake calendar. Uh, I think you can speak a little bit more to that. Yeah, like the uh, BT Labor Day 250K is um, shaping up really well. Uh, shared with you offline that uh, our pre-entry count is within just a few of where it was last year at this exact time. So the event appears to be heading in that same direction. 
um, somewhere in between 250 and 300 entries, which for the investment that it takes to run this event, um, that's, a, that's a strong crowd. And we're excited to see what's coming to Bristol next week. Um, the race on Saturday is the main attraction. It will pay a minimum of $100,000, no matter how many racers are in it. And if it goes over 275, last year it went over to went to 278, and uh, it'll pay a little more money, and it pays all the way up to you know 250,000. If we were to have some kind of blowout crowd, it doesn't appear that's going to happen this year. But the racers are going to race for at least 100,000. Dave Harvey Jr. won 110,000 last year on Saturday, and uh, Caleb Ellison won 100,000 the year before that. So we take a lot of pride in uh, in having an event that. Um, changes um, people's year i don't know if it really would change lives but uh, it's definitely going to change someone's year and uh, maybe allow them to to have a little extra cash to do something special in their life pay for something buy something they've been wanting whatever so we take a lot of pride in paying that much money on the foot break side and we're uh, very appreciative to bte for being our sponsor since day one our uh, our title sponsor uh, this will be uh, Steve and I's 19th event in Bristol, and we had uh, seven events in Holly Springs, and all 26 had BT as the title sponsor. So we're super excited about our relationship with them, and that's going to continue for a while to come. And we, we've got a lot of great sponsors that are presenting round prizes and special awards, and we're thankful for that. We've got Motormania TV going to be doing the live feed thanks to JEGS and environmental oil recovery. We've got a great staff. We've got a lot of cool plans for foot break fast facts. Make sure you're watching us on Motormania TV and watching the World Foot Break Challenge social media page there on Facebook. You'll be seeing a lot of cool stuff from our staff that's going to be working hard to highlight our racers and our sponsors and just uh, Luke, I think you can tell, but I'm pretty excited about it. You know, it's it's going to be a really cool event, and um, I'm certainly blessed to be a part of it and looking forward to seeing someone um, really go down in history uh, next Saturday night in Bristol. Excited and, and rightfully so, Jed. Like what you guys have created there, you, you focus on the money, and obviously the 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 financial aspect is a is a significant part of this. But it's just part of the whole package. Like I liken it to Spring Fling Million at Vegas, right? Like that event just belongs at that facility and the atmosphere around it, the electricity, the fact that it is streaming to however many thousands of, of racers and fans, like that stage for the top ball racers is what you have created with this event for the bottom bulb for the footbreak crowd. And it's a crowd that doesn't get to, doesn't get this opportunity that often, right? There, there's a couple of million dollar races each year. There's, there's one sure. guaranteed hundred thousand dollar to win footbreak race. And to have it at that facility with the, the prestige, the panache of Kohlberg racing promotions behind it. Like it's, it's going to be a really special day. I've, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that it's going to change someone's life obviously change someone's year, but that, that's a lot of money, Big Jed. And just from a, a, a racing standpoint, like the, the respect of, of um, your peers, the, the unforgettable nature of that day, like I, I, don't, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that that's life-changing. It's going to be a special day in Bristol. Yeah, it definitely will be. And it, you know, it's, it's a special for Steve and I and, and our staff to, to be on the backside of it and help bring it together for the racers and 
um, you know, it's, it's exciting for us to see it play out as well. You know, I, I don't really get nervous about the outcome, but I do get excited about it as it's, uh, as it's starting to dwindle down in the late rounds. So that's going to be pretty cool. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll start things out Thursday, Luke. Um, I'll make this announcement on social media. This is Tuesday as we record and uh, I'll make this okay. announcement. Is this breaking uh, news? Are we, are we well, breaking? it's kind kind of breaking news. It's a, it's kind of a pattern for us when we see that we're going to have a good crowd and we uh, uh, we have a three thousand dollars to win gamblers race on Thursday. We're going to make that five thousand to win um, on Thursday, and it it won't require any more investment from the racer. That same hundred dollar entry fee, and uh, it'll be a five thousand dollar to win gamblers race on Thursday. But by the time the listeners hear this, this will already have been announced on social media. So uh, that's pretty cool. We look forward to, to doing everything we say we'll do and more. And uh, that's uh, one of the things that we enjoy when we get to be racers in the lanes, too, when when a promoter is able to do that. So um, it's going to be good enough that, that we know we'll be able to do that for the racers. So that'll be announced and uh, hopefully get a good response and get an early crowd there and get us rolling on Thursday. Labor Day weekend always, I guess, has a little something for everyone, but specifically this season, you obviously have the footbrake crowd flocking to Bristol. The The top ball bracket racing scene will converge on Norwalk, Ohio, Summit Motorsports Park for the, the 40 Grand Nationals, which on paper, Big Jed, is one of the most underrated, under-talked about events of the season. Like that no race doubt. is awesome. I mean, the, the main incredible. event- incredible. Yeah, the main event's $40,000 to win. It's $20,000 to runner up. The payback is incredible. Um, yeah, really good race that, that is obviously going to be well supported. I believe it's sold out. Uh, and then for the NHRA class racers, obviously it's, it's the big go it's Indy a little bit more on that later. Like I say, we've got two weeks to look forward to. So on the NHRA side, leading into Indy, we've got a huge divisional weekend with four separate, um, Lucas oil series events planned, uh, Epping, New Hampshire, a double out in Montana, and then obviously Bowling Green, which is kind of the 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 prequel to Indy. Now, I want to talk about Indy a little bit and and maybe broaden this into a little bit wider discussion because we're back to positive vibes only, right? Yes. Although I got to admit, Big Jed, I'm I'm not I'm not completely certain I understand it. I want to talk through this a little bit. This year's Indy. Like we, we call it the big go every year. This is the biggest go in a while. As I look at the entry list right now, nearly 900 entries in this year's U.S. Nationals, 883 as of this moment of recording. Every single sportsman category uh, is oversold with the exception of super gas. And when we say oversold, like the quota in most classes, 150 Typically they cap these at 50, 60 cars. Indy's always bigger. It doesn't, it hasn't sold out at 150 in years. It's sold out in every category with the exception of super gas. The all-stars being contested in Indy obviously adds a, a, a layer to this, which is cool and fun. But I, I think I don't have all of the numbers in front of me. Uh, Kevin McKenna got me last year's entry numbers to Indy. It's up almost 200 entries in 2022. And just looking at it, like I may be a little bit jaded. I may be talking a little bit in the moment. If this stands pat, and I don't see any reason for the entry list to dwindle significantly unless the forecast is awful, if it gets anywhere close to 900 entrants, keep in mind, like no, no car can run two classes at an NHRA event. So it's 900 legitimate race cars on the grounds. 
I don't think India has seen that in, in close to a decade, right? In this time of, of economic turmoil, like I, I didn't expect to pull up the entry list and see the biggest indie that I've seen in years, right? Um, and, and the cool part about indie is it's traditionally been the place where everyone converges. Like if you, it's to some degree, I know it's one race, but to some degree it is like a measure. Like you win Indy, you kind of beat all the baddest dudes and, and, and dudettes in the land. You know, you typically, you, you take that, right? Take that away from it. Case in point, and again, the all-stars being at Indy adds a, is a layer to this. Uh, I had a couple of different racers send this to me, like screenshot, hey, I've never seen anything like this. You pull up the super comp entry list and, and most of the classes are similar, but super comp is the one where it's glaring super comp entry list right at the top. You've got finishers from last season. You've got number one entered number two, number three, number four, number five, number six, number seven, number nine, and number 10. Yes. Nine of last year's top 10 national finishers entered at the U S nationals. Oh, by the way, I had to I'd do a little bit of research on this. Number eight that we're missing. Guess who number eight in the world last year was, Big Jed? I was wondering that. Who is it? Steve Hoyt. Guess what Steve Hoyt's doing this year? What is Steve Hoyt doing? Steve Hoyt's racing super gas. He sold a super comp car. Oh, Steve. Everybody else in the top 10 entered in super comp at Indy. Like that's pretty cool stuff. So back to my original point. In this wild, crazy economic time when we can all attest to the fact that inflation is running rampant, like the cost of everything associated with racing is going up. We hear all the complaints. And to be quite honest, Jed, we don't just hear them like, I, I can't speak for you. I'm complaining. Like it, it costs more to do this than it ever has. Like, and we hear it every week. We hear people saying, and we think to ourselves, we maybe say out loud, like, hey, I can't afford to race at this level sustainably in, in this climate. And yet, this promises to be the biggest big go in years. And I know it's not across the board. I'm not trying to paint with a, a broad brush here. Some of the big dollar bracket events have struggled. Maybe many have, have sustained. Some have thrived, Big Jed. Like I think back, we talked about the TB Promotions uh, Twin 50s at, uh, at the racetrack formerly known as Gateway. If it wasn't sold out, it was very near it. Um, the, the May Race Carbs 12Ks last weekend in Muncie, I don't think that event was sold out, but very close. Norwalk's 40 Granders, 40 Grand Nationals that we just talked about. I believe that's sold out. Um, our Jeg Summer Door Car Shootout has a bigger pre-entry number than ever, which blows my mind. Like, didn't see that coming. You just talked about the, the Labor Day 100K being on pace with last season. And we've talked about this. I don't know that we've talked about it on air as much, but definitely off air. If there is a demographic that should be impacted by this, like common sense would say, it's your crowd. It's the footbrake crowd, right? Like this, this should really hit home and, and you'd think would deter a lot of those racers from coming, but at this level, at least, and maybe I don't, I don't mean to lump all of these, these races under one umbrella, but to some extent, like the races that I just mentioned, they're all kind of destination events on some level, right? I don't mean to put like our Jake Summer door car shootout in, in line with Indy or even the 40 Grand Nationals, but within that following, and I feel like your events are the same way, it, it is a destination for that niche. Those events seem to be not just surviving, like in many cases, thriving. And I find that really difficult to reconcile. Like I find, I guess my question for you, Big Jet, is 
why in this day and age are, are certain events not just maintaining status quo, at the, at the least, I'd say maintaining status quo, in some cases, growing? Well, look, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I work for the Caterpillar dealer, and I'm, I should say I'm not 100% sure why. I don't really understand it myself, but as I look at the, the typical demographic that is participating in the aforementioned events and certainly the big go, um, it's business owners, it's, it's people in powerful positions. Uh, there's very small minority of just working class, you know, go in at daylight and get off at dark type of guys that are, that are just grunt workers. Um, working for the Caterpillar dealer, I see it. I hear about it. Man, we can't find employees. The, you know, fuel is so high. Insurance is high. The, the rental rates are high on the equipment and the equipment's costing more and more. Yet we're having a record year at our Caterpillar dealership. So all of that gloom and doom is not perceived. It is actual. It is truthful. Yet in the end, it hasn't really slowed down business. Business is continuing to thrive. People that are contract type workers and those things. I was talking to a tree man today and, and Luke, the, the, he's super busy, got more work than he can do. Goes to a ritzy neighborhood. It's a difficult tree between two $700,000 homes. And he says, man, I didn't want the job. So I told him it'd be $7,500. And they asked, could I do it tomorrow? Um, so, you know, it's, it's that type of thing that's happening. These, these people aren't bidding jobs in terms of hoping they get it. Sometimes it's hoping they don't get it. Then they get it. Profits are high. We're having record profits. We are seeing record volume at the Caterpillar dealer. We serve so many markets and all of them are thriving. Uh, specialty contractors, HVAC, plumbers, electrical contractors, certainly dirt movers. So I really just believe with all of the rough stuff going on, there's a certain demographic that is benefiting from what our current economic conditions are. And those people are attending these events. There's no doubt in my mind. It's body shop owners, the body, the cars are always stacked out in the, the road and they're, they can't get to it. Technicians, mechanics got more work than they know what to do with uh, on and on people that have some kind of skill that uh, are serving a, a, a niche market like that especially contractors and so on and so forth those people are benefiting and those are the people that are attending these events uh, by and large there are some blue collar people there don't get me wrong but for the most part I think the demographic that's attending these events are the most fortunate ones in our current economy, and they're benefiting from all of the work that's available out there to do, and they're making damn good money, and they're spending it at the races. That's a well thought out, well presented theory. I, it's it feels a bit oversimplified, but I think you're on to something. Like I, I thought, tried to think through this. I talked to a, to a handful of smart people because, like I say, I, I'm similar to you, like trying to to wrap my head around it a little bit, and. I think there's a number of potential conclusions um, and perhaps the, 
the truth, the answer is, is some meshing of, of all of these. And, and what you just talked about, I think encapsulated a lot of them. Um, like, first off, I don't, I'm not one, I don't feel like what we are, are hearing on the news or seeing on social media, like, I don't feel like it's necessarily disinformation. Like I can go down to the gas station and realize that, Hey, it's going to cost me more to go racing this weekend than ever. Right. Um, but at the same time, like a potential conclusion is perhaps it's a little bit more smoke than fire. Like perhaps it, to your point, at least for a segment of our demographic of our population, it's, it's not as bad as we're being led to believe. Um, and maybe, yeah, we've said this before, Big Jed, that as bad as, as the economy may be and as hard as it may be hitting uh, certain segments or perhaps even the, the majority of, of our market, it's not having as big an effect as we might think simply because racers are so passionate about racing that we will guard that dispensable cash for racing. Like we'll cut a lot of things before we give away that, that, that release that we get on the weekends. Right. And I think there's probably some, some credibility there. I was, uh, I was speaking today I actually talked to a, to a group of really smart guys that I, that I try to catch up with, uh, relatively frequently. And, uh, and one of the, the men in that group is, a is a financial advisor. And his argument was like, look, there are, there are studies that show, I'm, I'm not smart enough to reference exactly what this is, but that as Americans, like as a whole, we still have a lot of available cash and savings. Like that, that number per capita is up significantly from say a decade ago, right? And to your point, um, a lot of racers at the the highest levels of of what we talk about of sports and racing are business owners right on, on some level in, in some profession and the the numbers that my friend shared were that of businesses that that applied for received ppp loans what's that two years ago now at this point that the number is 87 percent of those forgiven right so there was a lot of of um, money injected into balance sheets, right? Over the course of that time. And the argument that he made as well was over the course of the last two years, depending on, on geographic location and timing, like there have at the very least been times where it was more difficult to spend money than, than ever, right? In terms of like, you couldn't go anywhere, right? Or you couldn't go anywhere without a mask. So so vacations and, and travel and things like that tended to get limited, which obviously kept more money in-house, right? Now, his argument was eventually all of that will run out, right? There will be a reckoning, but it may be further away than we realize. And I think there could be some truth to that. Another argument that I heard specific, I think, to, to the big dollar bracket format, but probably across all forms of sportsman racing as to why why events uh, uh, on some level, you know, with column destination races or what have you are, are being so well supported today. And the argument was like parody is, is helping more racers than ever feel like they can win at the highest levels when they leave home. And that's, that's, that's a reason to leave home. And I do think there's something there, right? We see it week in and week out. Yes. The, the Jeff Sarah's, the Troy Williams juniors, the, the Johnny Zell's, the Nick Hastings, seem to win more than most, but particularly at the big dollar bracket level, I do think it is more common than ever to see uh, results of a, a 20, a 50, a hundred grander and go, oh, I never heard of that guy. Right. And I think that that plays a role. 
Yeah, I'm sure it does, Luke. I, I do believe that, you know, especially a race like the Big Go, your your percentage of participants that have won a national event in their life are much higher than what you'll see at the typical event. I think the best of the best show up for this. They They not only feel like they can, they have done it for the most part, and they know they can win. And again, I, I think it's primarily people that are in some type of business that are doing very well financially. I mean, let's not sugarcoat it. it. It's these people have worked hard and made a lot of money and they do have disposable income to go do these things. You know, who knows what everybody's reason is? I mean, we hear about all these tracks closing and less and less opportunities for events and all this. Somebody might be thinking, this might be the last time I get to do this. So I'm going, you know, and it just makes the crowd a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. But nonetheless, there's a lot of different reasons why people go. But for the most part, they're going because they can. I, you're not going to see a lot of potted meat sandwiches at the at the big go. OK, I mean, there's there's going to be steaks on the grill. There's going to be plenty of cases of beer in the cooler and there's going to be motorhomes running on their diesel generator for a week, Luke, a week. Uh, that's eating up a lot of diesel fuel and it's going to take a lot of diesel fuel to get there. So um, it, these are people that have done well and, and worked hard for what they're, what they love to do. And they're just going to by God, go do it. And sometimes it's as simple as that. No. And I, I think you touched on the the potential reasoning for for this influx that I think at least resonates most with me I don't know that it's most accurate but it resonates most with me is like simple supply and demand right so as you see racetracks closing and or as you see uh, like local bracket programs struggling and in some cases like folding up um, the demand is still there like all of those all the racers that frequented the crap, the, the track that is now closed or frequented the track that now no longer has a bracket program. Like for the most part, they still have the race cars. They still want to go racing and couple that with the, the rising cost of everything. Like it is not, don't misconstrue what we're saying here in terms of like, wow, you know, the economy is bad and, and, and sportsman drag racing is up across the board. That's not true. Like we're talking about it at the highest levels. I think it's fair to say that there are areas that are struggling, right? And so it's a, it, it may be a give and take. I, I think what I'm seeing more so than anything is racers picking and choosing more, like either the option to race locally isn't there anymore because the racetrack closed or because the bracket program is struggling or shut down or um, racers sit back and say, you know, it costs me so much money to get to the racetrack. It makes more sense for me to go once a month to maybe it's, it's completely financially related. Like it, it, it makes more sense for me to go once a month to an event that has three fifty granders than it does to go race every Saturday night for a thousand dollars or 1500. Or maybe it's like, hey, I just have more fun. Like these events are an event, you know, it's a gathering and all the people that I want to be around are there. And yeah, I'm going to spend a little bit more money, but I'll just save up for this month. I'll not race locally so that I can go to Bristol or Vegas or whatever, you know, that, that, that marquee event is in your mind. I, I do think we're seeing more racers picking and choosing. I think there's more selectivity, which then stands to reason that the quote unquote destination races are actually thriving while everything else is 
you know, struggling to stay afloat or, or, or panning out at best. Is that, is that, is that a fair? Very fair. And I think uh, I think a couple of those excuses you use to to attend uh, a several day or multi day or even a week long event, people are using those on a regular. Uh, you know the the big go if you if you can be off work a week and make this trip and go, you're going to see the the baddest of the bad bad heads up in class eliminations. You're going to see the all stars shoot it out for, uh, you know, the, the coveted championship in their respective categories. You're going to see the Hemi shootout. You're going to see the biggest field of professional category racers that you're going to see anywhere. There's, there's the fields will be plentiful and there'll be no buys first round because 16 didn't make it. You're going to see all of that. So your entertainment dollar is getting maximized along with your buddies i mean i looked down that list of super comp look there's there's california there's midwest there's south there's northeast everybody from everywhere is going to be there so you're going to get to see friends that you don't get to see very often the whole thing just adds up to an amazingly good time and then you get to get on the racetrack and compete for the most prized wally in racing so you know all of that why wouldn't somebody go to the big go if you can if you can make that trip i want you to do something and this will this will just go ahead and validate what i said i want you to do a little test at just whomever you line up with each round if you're chatting it up i don't know if you chatted up with your opponent much you probably don't you get pretty serious when it gets late but just ask around in the pits uh, how many days of vacations you have to take to be here? And what you're going to hear is, well, luckily I don't have to turn that in. I just told them I was going to be, I was going to be gone a week and I'd see them when I get back. And that's going to tell you the kind of people that are, are there attending that event because people don't take a week of vacation to go race at a drag race, even the big go. These are very successful people. They get to do what they want to do. And by God, if I was in their shoes, I'd be right there in the pits with them. So um, I think uh, I think all of that is, is leading people to make this decision. And uh, with that kind of field, you're talking 880 to 900 racers. It'll take a damn week to race it all. So that's um, what you that's what you don't realize in Indy. Like, why you got to be there for six days? Like, how, you, did you realize there's 900 cars? <laughs> like, yeah, you, you, pretty much. There's something going down a racetrack 14 hours a day for six days. They, they don't mess around. Yes. Yes, no, there'll be plenty. <laughs> so I, I think it's going to be a great time. And um, you're, you're talking about a group of people that uh, are pretty successful in life and they, they should be out there enjoying themselves. And I'm thankful that they choose drag racing to, to get their entertainment dollar or put their entertainment dollar to use. No doubt. A lot of races thriving. It's good vibes, Big Jed. It's positive vibes only. I don't think I got any more positive vibes. You ready to shut this down? I think this is it. I think this is the show. Well, Luke, with all due respect, there's one more positive vibe. We don't typically discuss I-57 uh, race results here on the podcast, and that's not a knock on I-57. It just doesn't always hit the scale. But uh, it was an all-Bogacki winner's circle uh, this weekend on Saturday night at the I-57 drag strip. Don't call it dragway. 
And uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, you and Gary shared the winner's circle at I-57 on Saturday night. And that was, uh, that had to be, you know, I mean, your wife just made a, a final round at a national event, lost to one of the best ever in a good run. That had to be special. And then you back that up with an all bogaki winner's circle with you and Gary Bear. Um, pretty, pretty good times for Team Bogaki, Team Moser right now. Man, you ain't lying. It's, uh, you know, we talked about how it's good to be AB. It's good to be Anthony Bertozzi. It's it's good to be the Bogacki family right now. The numbers ain't quite lining, yeah, it is. lining up. We don't have as many zeros <laughs> on our checks as, as AB has lately. But yeah, it's, it's, it's been a really good run. And uh, it was it was cool. It was absolutely a bucket list thing to uh, to share the winner's circle with my son. Uh, who knows how many opportunities we'll, we'll have to do that in the future. I'd like to think that's the first of several, but man, who knows? There ain't no guarantees. That's pretty special stuff. When, uh, when Gary won his first race last season, I, uh, I lost in the final of super pro that night at, at I 57. And I was almost glad because I felt like he, he deserved to have that moment by himself. Um, but it was, uh, it was really cool to, to get to join him uh it my, my little man's coming along he's, he's been on a really good role uh locally at i-57 we, we challenge him pretty good in the in the midwest series he's obviously still got a ways to go but it is so fun uh watching him grow it is uh, as junior parents can attest it is uh harrowing i didn't realize big jed it was um a little over a year ago now, probably 15 months ago i didn't realize i invested in a miniature competition eliminator car that's what I've got. All I do is work on the damn thing, right? I mean, it's just nonstop. It's a freaking 11 second, 50 mile an hour car. And I'm telling yes. you, it's more work than anything else we got. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fun watching him for sure. Yeah. Anything that uh, a gnat can get in the intake and cause you to slow down two tenths is, is hard to handle. So yeah, I get it. But uh, again, congrats to you and Gary. That's a special moment. And I'm sure one you guys will realize many times over before you're done racing. Uh, happy to see that. Luke, that does wrap us up. Um, we, uh, we, damn, uh, you know, we, we appreciate people tuning in this long and, and we, uh, certainly, uh, oh, hold on, hold on. Did, did you just go complete Alabama on me? What'd I say? It, it's like, instead of, um, did you just insert a damn? Like we damn love doing it, man. <laughs> Did, did, did I really come out? I think you did. <laughs> did I really? Oh my God. That's good stuff. But yeah, that, that could have happened. <laughs> uh, I don't know what I was thinking. I didn't even know I said it. If I, <laughs> what did I say? I said, we damn. <laughs> we, we damn, we damn, we damn got to figure out a way to wrap this show up. <laughs> well, I guess or maybe what I was thinking, we damn sure appreciate the listeners and you guys tuning in. This, that might've been what I was thinking. And I just, uh, I'm, <laughs> I must've even cut myself off, not even thinking about it, but regardless, we do appreciate the listener tuning in this this long uh <laughs> thank you for uh for helping us make the show what it is and uh, we'd love to hear from you uh if you got something that you want to talk about and again don't forget your challenge the listeners are challenged to come up with a, a new uh name or acronym for the the new sanctioning body that's potentially brewing out there so listeners let us hear from you go to the sportsman drag racing podcast facebook page and let us know what you think about the show, anything we talked about, anything we should talk about, and uh, certainly put your uh, put your vote in for what you think that new sanctioning body ought to be called. We might uh, we might get something going here and help those folks uh, put their put their name on their program. 
And um, again, if you want to do that publicly, we'd love to hear from you publicly so people can chime in. And if you'd prefer to do that privately, producer Mark will snag that right up and let us know what you said. Luke, um, you know, I've, I've pretty much just killed the show right here at the end. So save us, man. Save us. Let's hear some shouts. Well, damn, I got some shout outs for it. <laughs> shouts to Capital J Journalism and Reckless Speculation. Shouts to Breaking News. We don't get that every week on the show. We got some this week. Shouts to the Worldwide Drag Racing Association. Mate, that stick. And Big Jed, that makes me think of my man, Robbie Lopez, because Robbie Lopez used to say, son, you bad. You nationwide, right? <laughs> Worldwide. Shout out Robbie. to Robbie. Worldwide. Shouts to Minnesotans. Shouts to AD North. Shouts to AD South. Shouts to PJ North. Shouts to getting it did shouts to potted meat sandwiches and big jed last but not least shouts to the downtown dip carterville illinois oh man the downtown dip uh, we got to tell them real quick uh, uh luke <laughs> and i are in a, a group chat we we can't really tell you what group chat that is you'll hear more about that soon but uh we're in a group chat and and uh luke is uh is telling gary today to text your mom see if she wants some ice cream uh so Gary just picks up the phone and accidentally goes to the last text message that was at top, which was the group text. And he asked if um, if we wanted basically wasn't asking us, but asked if we wanted uh, some ice cream from the downtown dip and uh, the, the group in question all pretty much chimed in yeah yeah for our favorite flavor we'll take some it sounded delicious but unfortunately gary had to come back and let us know that was a that was a misguided text that was supposed to go to miss jessica and not come to the group so we all had to fend for ourselves but it was good stuff and uh, sorry to get your hopes up boys is what he said yeah (laughs) Yeah, pretty cool when your little guy can do some texting for you while you're going down the road like uh so anyway that wraps us up. Um, Luke and I are active on the Twitter. If you like to tweet, send us a, a tag or an ad or whatever you do on Twitter, and then we'll respond to that best way we can. Um, you know, John Force is liking stuff that's got us tagged in it right now. So if you think you're that special, come on with it. We'd love to hear from you. Luke is at Luke Bogaki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. We won't talk to you next week. But we'll be back real soon talking about some of the best races in racing. And we can't wait to talk to you about all that sportsman drag racing in a couple of weeks. Y'all have a great week off. And uh, again, make sure you tune in. We'll be talking about some awesome stuff when we get back in a couple of weeks. See you guys. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling 
not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers. That's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.